think you can do business just as effectively remote. Like there's no issue with how effective you can be, but the issue is that in person you can get a better connection. Like you can never really feel that deepest connection when you're remote. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Karshovsky, and welcome to episode 147 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited to be joined by Rob Rawson, the CEO and co-founder of Time Doctor and Running Remote the world's largest remote work conference, which is taking place next week, May 17th and 18th in Montreal, Canada. During this episode, Rob and I discuss why he decided to pursue entrepreneurship after studying to become a doctor, why he became so interested in remote work in the early 2000s, why he decided to start running remote and who the conference is for. And finally, Rob shared what remote work trends he is really excited about and looking towards in the future. But before we jump into the interview, make sure that you subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Remote Insider. Every Monday morning, I send out a brief but informative email with all the top news from the digital nomad world so you never get left out. From upcoming conferences like Running Remote and new digital nomad visas to technology breakthroughs and the newest developments in remote work, it's the easiest way to become a remote insider. It's completely free and you can sign up at thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider. Finally, I'd love to hear what you think about this podcast. I've made it very easy to leave a review. All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. I read every review and I love to see what you guys think about this podcast and we'll also read your review here on the show. But, all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Rob Rawson. All right, Rob, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited uh, to have you here. And by the way, I have to say thank you so much for getting up as early uh, as you had to get up in order to to record this episode. We were talking that you're, it's like 5.30 a.m. where you're at. Yeah, it's super early, but it's normal for me. So I actually get up because of my team is mostly in the US. And so I'm really talking uh, and meeting with people this early all the time. Yeah, I, you know, I could maybe we were talking about this before. I could maybe do that, but I can't imagine recording a podcast at 530. So you're a trooper. Uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here. But for people who don't know you, uh, you are the CEO and co-founder of a company called Time Doctor. Uh, it's a very well-known uh, remote company. Actually, we had Liam Martin on all the way back in episode two, uh, 26 uh, when we talked about Time Doctor. So it's it's great to have another representative of the Time Doctor team here. But I want to start uh, with you, and we're going to talk about Running Remote, which is the conference coming up here in May, and also uh, your new book that's coming out soon by the same name. But I want to start with something that I found very interesting about your story. And that's that you actually studied to be a doctor and then transitioned into the startup world. So I, I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that you actually did two years of residency at a hospital in Sydney in Australia where you're, where you're from. 
and then decided to join the yeah. startup world. The reason why this is yeah. so interesting to me is one of my best friends, uh, the best man at my wedding is actually uh, a doctor as well. And the thing that we've talked with him about before is he's like, listen, this is the path. I have no other option other than to like, you know, go through with it and become a doctor. Like there's really, I've devoted so much time into this. I've invested so much money in order to be a doctor that there's like, I can't see myself doing anything else. How come you were able to make that shift? Like, why did you decide to jump from the medical field after you've invested so much time into that to then go in and do a startup? It was always something I was passionate about is entrepreneurship. So I was starting various businesses, even while I was in medical school. And I didn't think I could be a doctor for my whole life. I kind of feel like I, I want to jump around and do lots of different things. Like right now, I'm thinking about even medical businesses, right? I'm thinking about uh, something where I could get involved with all of this life extension stuff, which is there's, there's a whole lot of uh, interesting uh, technologies there. So I'm just constantly thinking about new things and what else I could do. And so that was how I just started businesses, even on the side while I was a doctor. And, and it wasn't that I disliked the medical profession. I think it's an amazing profession. It's just if you're being a doctor, you have to devote your life to it. And I, I kind of decided, well, I don't know if I can really devote my whole life to it. Uh, so that's how it ended up. And then I got a successful business and sort of went from there and then ended up just not doing medicine. Yeah, the life extension stuff is really interesting. And it's one of these things where it's not something I can have a business around. I mean, I guess you can have a business around everything, but like, it's just not some, it's one of these things that I'm interested in, but I know I'm not going to do a business around. So it's, it, it kind of checks this like hobby interest thing for me. I just picked up this book, Blue Zones. Have you heard of this before? Uh, it's no, like, no, I don't think so. It's, um, you might be interested in reading this book then. It's this researcher who goes around the five or six, I can't remember how many zones there are in the world where they have the most uh, people over the age of 100 and tries to then compare like what are what do they have in common to see if there's something that we can learn from that in order to like live longer. It's just pretty interesting. You know, when you transition from being uh, in medical school to, to then doing a startup, it was in the early 2000s, right? So the startup space wasn't quite what it was now. It wasn't as established. Did you have family or friends kind of going like, Rob, what are you doing here? You're on a great path. Why are you jumping into this wild, wild west of, of entrepreneurship? My, my family were already used to me being a bit crazy. So I'd done <laughs> enough crazy things by then that they weren't really just like, okay, whatever. He's just going to do. And they, they weren't really trying to hold me back or trying to do some specific thing. Actually, being working remote was a key ingredient of why I decided to go into entrepreneurship because I wanted to travel the world and it's very hard to do that as a doctor. I just thought I wanted to go to like, lots of different countries, work remotely, and so that was part of my motivation as well. So how was that that early of a motivation? Because this was all happening in like the early 2000s, right? When you quit like 2004 or five. So to me at that stage... I can't imagine where remote work was at at that point because so I immigrated to the United States in 2003 when I was 11 years old with my parents and I remember us trying to find the city that we were moving to and we could find nothing about it online because my dad was misspelling the name of the city and the the search engines were just so crappy that they couldn't like return anything for that search query so 
how was why were you already thinking about remote work like how was that something that you were already interested in that early on i guess it was more just travel like i wanted to travel right i wanted to go to i, I went to brazil i went to argentina all these places and i was excited about that even if i had to take a break and and not work so i think you're right that it wasn't thinking about remote work as such i was still working a little bit while I was overseas, but it was harder at that stage because of the internet quality, et cetera. But it was possible. What really was the breakthrough for me was having a remote team because at that stage, I didn't even have any conception of having a remote team. I thought about everyone would have to be in an office. And, and when I first started in business, I didn't even think of the idea of having a remote team. It was just like, well, you had to have an office. That's just how a business works. And so was Time Doctor uh, or what ended up becoming Time Doctor, was that your first remote first business or were there other trials that you did before that? It sort of was the first remote business because I actually, before that, I had a team in the Philippines. I had 40 people in an office and this is really expensive office and the, and the strategies that I was using which were more like these affiliate marketing and Google AdSense and things like that, right? And they stopped working. And so the office became really expensive. And then the other thing is that I had this office that I felt like obliged to come into because I had it and with all the team there. Like I can't just not show up at all, but I honestly didn't want to live in the Philippines anymore. So I had this dichotomy of, well, I don't want to live in the Philippines I don't really want to go into the office, but if I don't come in, it's going to look really bad. And so what am I going to do? So I thought, well, I'll just get everyone to work from home. So that was the conception. And that's actually how I started software as well. So it just all started from there. Now, what was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Time Doctor as an idea, it didn't start out as that, right? It, it was something else in first. Am I correct on that? Uh, no, it started as the idea of Time Doctor. We were using it for ourselves, like for myself first, mm. and was for the team in the Philippines. And then from from there, it expanded. So yeah, it was just basically my own my own idea. And how big is just to kind of lay the scene here or set the scene for people listening? How big is Time Doctor at the moment? Like, how big is your staff? Where are they all based out of, et cetera? We've got 130 staff in 30 countries and they all work from home. Basically, we don't have a single office. And how do you, how do you pitch Time Doctor in terms of what it does? It's time tracking and productivity and time and attendance. So it's really understanding the time worked um, and really getting some idea of what's going on in your team. And one of the interesting things that when I had Liam on that he kind of explained to me because... I'm, you know, I don't believe in this idea of like tracking every single person's, you know, time spent on a, on a task down to the minute and, and paying them based on that. Like, I really believe more in, Hey, this is what this project is worth to me. So this is what I'm going to pay you. And if it takes you an hour or 10 hours, it doesn't really matter to me. This is how much I'm valuing this. Right. And one of the things that Liam told me was that you guys actually don't track your employees hours either. You just use that data to understand how they're working. Is that still how you guys do things? Well, that, that's, 
that's the advantage or the way that you can use it in a very positive way would be like looking at how much time people are spending in meetings. You know, are they, are they being like a very, are you wasting time in meetings, for example? Like what is that? What's going on there? So that's some way that you can kind of analyze the team. But then it also depends on the type of work. Like for some people, they are doing hourly work or you're paying them per hour for work. So a lot of our clients use it for that. So you're paying exactly per hour. And then I would say that it's kind of a combination. Like the most important thing is to understand what type of work somebody is doing and like what, what they've accomplished, like you said. But it is useful also to analyze the time spent because if you're spending 10 hours to do something that somebody else takes one hour, something's wrong there. Like it's not effective. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you guys are running this company. Uh, it's doing well, you know, over 100 employees, like you said. Why then in 2017, I believe it was, why launch the conference running remote? What was the idea behind that? We were so passionate about remote work and it was really Liam's idea that he wanted to create a conference, create people getting together. Initially, we had it in Bali, which was a really cool location. Uh, and now we've changed it to Montreal. It's easier to get to Montreal, Canada, uh, which is also a very cool location for North America. Uh, it's not quite as exotic as Bali, unfortunately, but it is still an amazing city. And if you're in North America and you've never been to Montreal, it's probably one of the most beautiful cities in the whole of North America. So it's, it's just a great opportunity for people that are either working remotely all of the time and they just want to share with other people that are completely remote and, and get together and share best practices or for those companies and, and often larger companies that are trying to go remote. Uh, obviously, they've been forced to in the pandemic, but they don't really quite know how to do it properly. And when you're learning from these companies that have been doing it for 10 years, they have best practices that are really effective. Uh, one of the things that we're really looking at is the asynchronous work. And I'm sure you, you talked about it in the podcast uh, a bit, but asynchronous is a really key ingredient that people that are new in remote work, they don't kind of get it. They're like, well, when they first go remote, all they do is just have the same meetings all the time on Zoom. It's like Zoom, 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 you know, meeting, 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 meeting. And it's very, uh, it's just like overwhelming and, and you get Zoom fatigue and you, it's not productive because you're getting interrupted all the time and all, are all those meetings necessary anyway? So having that async, which is like you talking, uh, recording things for somebody and they can listen to it later or you're you're writing down the communication it's it's a lot more effective especially when you cross time zones like we are we're in three different time zones uh like it's three different continents i mean we're in like europe and north america and australia like asia it's like everyone is everywhere and you can't have these synchronous meetings very easily yeah i was wondering if uh if that's how liam sold you montreal was like you know beautiful city for north of, for north america but he was actually going like but it's most importantly it's very close to me so i just i just wanted to be like in my backyard you know is that how i saw the destination i was like is liam just making this in like in his backyard you know for him where yeah where? He, he lives in montreal so yeah sure it's a part of it what a what a what a move by liam i love that uh 
But tell me, yeah, so I think the asynchronous thing is really interesting because it's so, in my opinion, it's so critical to running uh, a remote team well. But one of the things that I'm noticing in in a lot of the conversations that I'm having through the podcast and with clients and uh, with friends, it's the, you know, the small companies are getting it. They're getting asynchronous almost out of the bat. But when I speak with friends of mine who work in, in very large companies, you know, like a thousand plus that have been a thousand plus employees that have been doing it for a really long time, they are kind of using Zoom almost like it's their go-to answer. How do you convince those companies that are that big that asynchronous is the way? And then how do you actually start to implement that? Like, what have you seen from your experience as a way to implement these new uh, procedures in terms of asynchronous communication for companies of that size? I think it's that change management, but it's also implementing the tools and teaching people about the tools. So recording videos is something that small businesses are really used to recording videos of your screen or videos of yourself. I actually really love how Slack now has the video record button. So instead of actually sending a a text message, which is kind of impersonal, like there's just no real detail of the communication, you can record a video. So if you were going to say like, great job, I really appreciate what you've done on text, it falls a bit flat. Like it's like, yeah, okay. Um, I, somebody just texted me that I did well. But if you send a video to somebody like, man, that was amazing. I really appreciated it. And that video really hits. Like it's actually, it's it's almost better than the, the synchronous version because uh, they're not embarrassed about, what, about, about being in person with you and they can watch it anytime and you can record it anytime. So it has all these advantages, but it still has that connection of the video and that kind of personal feeling. Yeah, that new Slack uh, upgrade for the for the paid version. The other thing they have that I really like is the transcription, because I I'm a fan of recording the videos. But then the problem is that you end up with this like really long video, and if you need to get something out of it, like you're like, oh, what was that resource somebody mentioned, or who was that person that I need to get in contact with? You need to like rewatch the entire video, but transcribing that audio or the video so that you can like search it is for me the game changer, you know? So I think like the the transcription stuff is is really interesting. It's funny because you kind of don't notice it. Like my wife's company, they've been using uh Slack Pro for a really long time and and they hadn't noticed it. And I and I I saw it there like the little lines. I'm like, is is this transcription, you know? And like they kind of like hide it away, but it's actually very good. And I showed it to her and she was like, oh my God, like sending it to her team. Have you guys seen this? Like, you know, so uh, I, I do recommend it. It's a cool one. Are there any other tools, uh, you know, of course, out, you know, outside of Slack, of course, outside of Time Doctor that you would recommend for uh, running a team well asynchronously? Well, the key one is recording actual little snippets of video that you can send or, or the, the, the recording your desktop. So trainings, that sort of thing. There's lots of tools for that. So I, I, a lot of people use Loom. It's a popular one, but there's Snagit and there's, there's quite a few others. Uh, so that one I really love. Uh, but there's, it's really about the practices as well because we, we have an internal debate sometimes about, oh, we should be using this for our documents or we should be using that. But it's, it's about that health of best practices of how do you do it in the company and how do you 
Uh, how do you make sure that everyone's using it in an effective way? So what are some of those best practices? Like if you had to name, uh, you know, two or three things in the company that have maybe had the biggest effect on running the company remotely, what, what would those be? Something we're doing recently is having a no meetings week, which is one week a month. And the reason for that is to get us more attuned to the async communication because you can get in that habit of, of just having meetings, meetings. And so we need to figure out what is the right level of meetings that we need to have. And I think meetings are important for some detailed communication, for some connection, you know, to get, if you're, if you're working remotely and you don't see each other, which unfortunately is a, a downside of the way that we run our business is that it's too remote, like in that we, we don't, because there's so many countries, it's very hard to get people in the same place, even from a visa point of view. So we actually want to make sure that we have some connection with video, but then how do you find that balance? So the, the no meetings week, I, I really like that concept. Uh, and it's a way actually big companies can kind of force that asynchronous communication as well. And then just teaching people about different tools, uh, such as the such as the recording on your screen is really important. Uh, and making sure that they're using the right communication for the right type of uh, style. So for example, if it's really emotional, you'll want to have a one-to-one -one video right? because you need to have that like feedback and you need to have the personal, if you're giving them someone negative feedback about the performance, you don't want to do that even on a recorded video. It's, it's too much. Uh, if it's positive on feedback on the performance, it's fine via video, uh, recorded video, but otherwise if it's that very emotional thing, it has to be, has to be really, a, a, an in, in person or a video connection. That's funny. I'm imagining somebody at Time Doctor getting like a, a live, you know, a video call schedule with with you. And they're like, oh, man, Rob scheduled a live video with me. I know this is already going to be you know, like a negative. If it was positive, he would have sent me something. Uh, but that's funny. Yeah. Uh, circling back to to the conference, uh, who is it for? I mean, who do you hope comes to, to the conference? Um, you know, who is your target? market in terms of attendees is it you know people just getting started who want to learn about remote is it people running remote companies who is uh, the ideal attendee there yeah it's more of the people either the ceos or it can be the chief people ops uh you know the head of people this kind of person in a large company that are trying to figure out remote but it can also be the the companies that are already remote and they're just trying to get best practices and, and connect with other remote leaders as well. So it's, it can be either one of those two things where it's, it's just people that are, are really wanting to know the absolute best practices for remote work and, and how they can do it effectively. And there's this difference between the people that have been doing it for years versus the ones that have just started and they haven't quite figured it out yet. And so those, those companies are doing for years, they really know, uh, some, some great best practices. Like, uh, like what, for example, I'm kind of curious there on, on the differences that you pick up between someone who's just getting started, like a company who's just getting started with remote work versus those more experienced ones. Yeah. Another thing they put attention into is those remote, uh, 
connection uh, because you're not actually getting to see people in person as much. You need to have that connection. So having those uh, time away from from just your normal work where you're actually playing games or you're doing something fun. Uh, and there's different strategies for that. We, we have also an all hands, which I find really effective because you're trying to get this, you're trying to get the strategy and the culture and you're trying to get people excited about the mission of the company. How do you do that? And all hands where you're really uh, actually going through that, that strategy and the, the vision and the mission. But uh, in that all hands, one of the things that we do is we have these breakaway groups in Zoom as well. So people get to mingle kind of like virtually. So you, you're replicating some of those things that, you, that you'd have in an office that you're not that are kind of disadvantages of remote in some ways but but you're able to compensate for that so people love doing that they love to connect with people in the company they wouldn't normally connect with because they don't work with them Uh, but by having that quick chat to them and understanding more about their lives and answering a few questions uh, every time we do that in the in the all hands that's really really effective those breakout rooms in zoom a great way to do that you can have rooms of like three or four people by all hands do you mean kind of like all hands on deck like video where the entire company comes together is that where the name comes from yeah that's a synchronous all hands so everybody gets together and at the same meeting time and so you have a meeting say if it's 100 people they're all in the same you're talking about the, the company strategy and then you break out into groups of four and then you talk about your day or, you know, what, what, you know, your kids or something more personal. And that's, that's what we, we do regularly. On that, on that topic, what do you think about this new um, range of tools? I guess I can say that have come out where you can like walk up to like a group of people talking and you hear them and then, you know, you're trying to kind of simulate the, the idea of being in the office where you can, walk your character around to join calls have you played around with any of those tools and like what do you think about them in general yeah i've played a little bit with them and i find it tricky because i haven't managed to actually fully get into it or fully implement it and uh so i'm not i'm unsure about that uh we've also played with oculus so we've we've had meetings in in oculus which is interesting, or it's more games. We, we played uh, poker virtually in Oculus. That, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it was amazing because you, you're, you're smoking these virtual cigars in <laughs> Oculus and, and, you're, and you're like, you know, you're smashing the drink on the table. And so it's cool, um, but we found that it was hard to maintain. It just requires a lot of energy. So I, I, it, hasn't, it hasn't just naturally been something that we want to continue to do yeah i've uh i've played around and i've even done there were like a few virtual events that i was a part of that used that software and i had the same feeling as you where i i understand what they're going for and i i like i like the attempt let's put it that way like i i'm very happy that somebody's attempting this but it doesn't quite click for me yet like i don't i i don't really see myself returning to that to that thing again what do you think we need to figure out in order to get it to that point right because that's sort of 
the eventual endpoint, I feel like, is something that incorporates that part of virtual meetings. What do you think is missing if you had to guess there uh, in terms of like what could be done better with software like that? Well, I've heard a lot about these technologies that actually where you can be in a virtual meeting and you're looking into someone's eyes because that's one of the differences with uh, Zoom or Google Hangouts is that you're not looking into the person's eyes, right? And then it doesn't feel the same and you can't hear the nuances. So there are technologies that are actually trying to fix that. I don't know how much better it would be. Uh, I do feel like it is different, obviously, in a room. That, and, and the main thing that, to me, that is missing from remote is that personal connection aspect that I think you can do business just as effectively remote. Like there's no issue with how effective you can be, but the issue is that in person you can get a better connection. Like you can never really feel that deepest connection when you're remote. Maybe one day you will be able to feel that deep connection. remote. I kind of feel a little bit nervous or scared that that could happen because I don't, I don't, it doesn't feel real to me almost, you know, like I'm not sure that I want to have that almost um, that, that true connection, but that's why you, as a remote company, you want to meet up in person, like ideally two to three times a year. But if you, if you can't do that for us, we're, we're actually meeting less frequently than that, but the ideal would be two to three times a year. And, and, and as I say, it's like that personal aspect um, that it's really important. Yeah, it was interesting. I just read a report about like Zoom fatigue. And one of the big things they reported as part of that fatigue is that you're looking at yourself, right? Like we naturally want to look at our screen to see what we look like. And the fact that we're kind of, it's okay. almost like staring in the mirror for extended amounts of time. And that because of that, you end up getting the Zoom fatigue instead of like looking at the other people, which was very interesting because I'm like, oh, I totally look at myself all the time when I'm on Zoom videos. So like, I don't know why it just, it is like where my eyes go. Um, maybe it's like make sure I look okay or whatever. But it is something that now I'm like actively trying to make sure that I'm like looking at the person on the screen. Uh, and it seems to be actually like working better, to be honest, like a week into doing this, I'm like, oh, I don't feel as much like tiredness, uh, you know, after calls, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I, I'm just, now that you said it, I'm looking to myself now and I'm like freaking out, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I find that I, I'm actually with, with remote work, I, because of the, the style of communication, I, I actually often don't even look at all. And I'm sort of looking at my notes or and that is less personal and i don't know about this but i feel like i'm perhaps not as as good at communicating in person because i'm not getting as much practice right so like i'm doing this all the time remotely and i don't have that same practice of, of in-person communication and i'm maybe not looking in people's eyes i'm not as good as like a really good communicator and something that I need to practice is like in-person communication, looking into someone's eyes, like being a proper communicator. And yeah. That's so interesting. Like you're so much on Zoom that your like conversation muscles are built for that. <laughs> that's that's very interesting. Mm. Yeah, I catch myself. Exactly. The other thing that I do on calls sometimes, like especially if it's um not on interviews, because I feel like when I do podcast interviews, it's almost a different type of zoom conversation like it, it it almost uses like a different skill set but when i'm doing like consulting calls or some sort of um more 
like working with clients and I'm I'm being asked questions, I catch myself looking like to the left or to the right, like kind of like not looking at the screen to think about things. And that's always been something like, does that look weird to the other person? Like, does it, but it's something that I just constantly catch myself. Just like interesting in terms of Zoom etiquette and this kind of stuff. Um, circling back to the, to the conference, because I'm very curious about, um, you know, obviously we talked about why you started it, but as you know, the CEO of Time Doctor and as sort of like a, uh, somebody who's like looking at vision things, right? What is the vision for, for the conference there? Uh, if you have one, like what, where would you like it to be in 10 years? What are some of the things that you're hoping that it ends up becoming, uh, so on and so forth? The vision is to be the largest conference for remote work and to really promote the concepts of remote work and to get more people working remotely. So there was a huge boost, obviously, with COVID, but people are going back because they don't feel comfortable and they don't know how to do it. And they're thinking about hybrid. They're thinking about the fully remote. And I don't think they really get it yet. Even though they've been doing it for two years, they don't really get the full concept of remote. They're not plugged in because the mindset is so fully into the office that to to actually just think about a full remote style, which is most of these companies are, are fully remote and, and have completely bought in. And so they are on a different level of doing things. And, and I think that that mentality is going to be a really benefit to the world, especially with with a climate change and uh, the ability to hire internationally as well is, is, is really effective as a company. To me, the biggest benefit as a company owner for remote work is that you could hire from anywhere. So even if you're just within the US, if you have to hire in your own city, that's really narrow, right? Like you've just got a few million people versus 300 million, 300 plus million in the US. That's an incredible difference. So much easier to find great talent. And that's only going to, to stay. If, you're, if you are limiting yourself to one city, you're also limiting your company in terms of the ability to hire great people. So I, I, to me, that's a, like, that's a killer for a company to have to hire someone in the same city. Yeah, it's funny that you say that about uh, the fact that like companies are still not quite remote, even though they've been doing remote for a few years, because it's actually something that I just tweeted, I think today about how, because I'm so surrounded by people who are all gun ho about remote and have been doing remote for such a long time, I almost feel like we did our job, right? Like we figured it out. Uh, I feel like I'm beating the same old drum. Everybody knows what we're talking about. Uh, and it's kind of like, it's almost like, okay, like now what? And then when I speak with friends of mine, like I said, who work at like companies that are maybe not in that circle and I hear what they're doing in terms of remote work. And I'm just left to this point of like, oh no, 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 no. Like we're just getting started. You know, like this is nowhere close to being the, you know, not it, clearly not everybody knows how to do remote companies, which is very interesting. Where would you say we are in terms of you know, the, the, rem the remotification of work, uh, in, in the corporate world, like, are we just getting started? Have they kind of figured it out or do, you know, what do you think from your point of view? I would say before COVID it was like a 5% uh, 
where it, where it was 5% of the remodification of what's possible. After COVID, we've gone up to 20, 25%. So we've, okay. there's a huge boost, right? But it's still in the beginning. Mm. It, it's not always going to be everyone is remote. I don't, obviously, I don't believe that. And it depends on the type of company. But I think the mentality when everyone starts to think the remote is a valid way of doing things, then you just choose what is the best for your company and for your situation, then I think it would be probably three to four times more companies would choose remote. And outside the US as well, there's there's a different type of thinking as well. Like a lot of countries, for example, in India, in Saudi Arabia, uh, there's a, quite a few countries where they just completely went back. They didn't, there was no change. So the thing that changed it in the US and Australia and the West is that employees demanded it. Like they said, you know, screw you. If you're not going remote, I'm getting another job. And that, that freaked out all of the company owners. And, and literally there was a survey where they said that 30%, 33% would quit their job rather than go back to the office. So that just spurs companies to just, it forces them basically. They didn't want to do it. Most managers didn't want to continue to go remote but they were forced to. And Facebook, I bet you, was not. Uh, Zuckerberg probably was forced to. Uh, and I think a lot of other companies were forced to do it. It's interesting that you think that because there was an article that came out recently about how Facebook's executive team is leading the charge in remote because they're like spread out all over the world. Like the executive team, the leading team at Meta, right? I don't think a like I don't think there's two in the same city. They're all spread out all over the world, and maybe it was like a maybe they like bought that piece to say, "Hey, look how remote friendly we are." Um, but it does seem like they're literally the entire executive team is spread out all over the world, which I thought was kind of cool. You know, Mark Zuckerberg's like off in Hawaii doing the the foiling or whatever that's called. You know, so he's post constantly posting videos of that. Yeah, you you might be right with Facebook. Like I I don't know their specific situation. So I just think a lot of companies they they've been forced to and they've like, they've been pressured. Yeah. And I I feel like one of the other things that uh these companies are doing where they don't want to go, they don't they want you know the managers they want to return back to the office, but uh, the employees are saying, no, we want to stay remote. It almost seems like the card they're playing at that point is hybrid work. Okay, we'll give you like a win-win. We're going to do hybrid work. What is your opinion on hybrid work as a long-term uh, subset of like remote work, so to say? I'm not a huge fan, to be honest, because you're not getting that same benefit of hiring remotely you know, across the country or the, or the globe. So I think that if you're having hybrid work, you'd need to have people in the same city. If everyone's in the same city, then you're not getting that. You're basically saying, well, I'm only hiring from this city. I'm not allowing my team members to move to a different city. So you're, you're really blocking a lot of the benefits. Um, so the main benefit then is, is just some flexibility for the team. And I don't think that the flexibility necessarily is is a huge benefit. I mean, there are downsides to, to remote work, like having people in the office and that collaboration and the feeling and the spirit. And there, there's definitely an upside to that. So if you're going to go, I, I do feel like going more for either extreme, like you're either in the office fully 
maybe one day, like flexibility, like one day a week is, is probably fine. You know, that's sort of a little bit of hybrid, uh, which is just to, to have a bit of flexibility for the team. I, I don't see a problem with that. But if you're going to have an office, then you might as well use the office. Like you've got to use the advantages of the office. If you're not going to have an office and you're not in the same city, then the hybrid doesn't work. So I feel like you're going to eventually move in either of those two directions. Yeah, I actually, I'm with you. I think hybrid work is not a good idea. And I even think it's for managers or executives who are pushing hybrid work. I think that they're screwing themselves because they're getting the worst of both sides, right? So not, you know, you're not getting the benefits of being in uh, in an office and everybody coming into the office all the time and, and getting that natural synergy. And you're also not getting the benefits of remote work from a company perspective of being able to hire the best person for that job. So you kind of end up screwing yourself long-term, in my opinion. Do you, do you, would you agree with that kind of point of view of the, the fact that short-term they think they're winning, but long-term, I think they're kind of screwing themselves? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think they may end up going one way or the other. Yeah. I have seen companies that have they've gone back to the, the office situation, um, but I, it's, it's all interim for companies right now. They don't know what it's going to be permanently because they're still kind of reeling and figuring it all out. Yeah. And someone, uh, it was interesting. Someone mentioned this to me recently about what hybrid work, even one day of required, you know, in the office work a week or, or every two weeks actually screws everything up, all the benefits, because you immediately create this almost like donut effect around wherever your office is because your employees can't move past that donut, right? If it takes like an hour and a half to get into the office, then they have to like be relatively close to the office in order to make it like every uh, week or so. So you immediately start screwing yourself in terms of like how far out you can hire and all of the benefits that, for example, I don't know how it is in Australia. I imagine it would be similar, but with remote work, one of the things that you started seeing was People going to these smaller cities and, you know, getting out of the big uh, metropolises and going to live in like smaller cities where their family can have a better lifestyle or they can get a nicer house for cheaper. And all those benefits go away, even with like one day of required hybrid work, quote unquote. Yeah, totally agree with that. And another question is really whether you're hiring people in the same country. And uh, ideally, I would want to meet three times a year, right? Mm. So this is really a great, I, although you're not having hybrid where you're meeting every week, I think meeting two or three times a year is very valuable for every remote company. But because we've gone so extreme with 30 countries and some of these people are in like Nigeria, for example, it's hard for them to get a visa to go anywhere, literally. I don't think our team wants to all go in, to Nigeria. So, and where and those people in Nigeria can't, get a visa like literally so it's it's very hard for them and so i would if i was starting another remote company i would consider maybe less countries that i was going to hire people from rather than 31 yeah. uh, but it's still it still works right it's still fine but it, it's it's just something to consider if you're going to the full extreme that we've gone to not not to mention that with 30, you know, countries, you're dealing with 30 different legal systems. And uh, I don't know exactly how the employees are, are set up inside of 
time doctor, but you know, it's one thing if they're contractors, but if they're full-time employees and you need to figure out all of those logistics and then having to figure it out for 30 different countries, it almost becomes a nightmare unless, you know, you, I know there's companies out there that will kind of streamline that. Uh, but that's just so many extra variables on top of that. Um, on, on the topic of, of in-person events, when you do do in-person events, what do you like to do at them? You know, this is one of the things that I talk about with like some people who are like heads of remote or doing the, that sort of consulting is, do you kind of do a lot of work things and you use that time to get together and strategize around big projects? Or do you use it to kind of do more fun things and team building some mixture of both? How do you view that? We do a mixture and we have in the past done a completely not basically just fun event. We didn't find that worked quite as well, at least for our type of company. I think maybe other companies that might work and the fully business is a bit stale as well. Although it's not, it's still not that bad because even if it's fully business, you're still going out to drinks afterwards and that by itself is, is, is fun, right? So just seeing those people that you're working with is, is kind of cool. And it does, you don't really have to do a whole lot around it. So I, I do like the fun aspect though. We, the, we've, we've done obviously going out for drinks and so on and, and, and you know, bowling or whatever it is. So uh, I think that is a lot of fun to do a little bit of fun. So a, a combination. Looking out over the next, like, let's say five years, what are some of the trends that you're seeing from your vantage point in terms of remote work that the rest of us can look forward to or that we can expect, uh, you know, over the next couple of years? I think the globalization of work that is, is natural for remote is going to happen uh, to, a, to a larger degree. And the fact that in LinkedIn and the way that you think of jobs, like up to now it's been you hire somebody in a country so you have to post not just a country but you have to post in a city so i think that those job sites have started to cotton on to that so actually linkedin now has an option for remote but it's going to be more and more like that so it's not going to be that you're hiring in a city it's going to be hiring in a country or maybe a region it's going to be more specific you're going to say look well i'm happy to hire in all of latin america i'm happy to hire in all of north america and latin america but i don't want to hire in europe or i'm happy to hire in the entire europe and africa but i don't want to hire in asia because of the time zone so there'll be those concepts in the hiring landscape and in the in the way that people think about work versus the location like city uh, or country uh, which is a lot more limited. Have you heard about this? It's not really a story, but about like remote Oregon. Have you ever heard of this before? No, no, I haven't. Where in some of these older, and I can't exactly remember which one of these job search sites it was, but one of the earlier ones, there was no option to actually pick to, to set the job location as remote. But I guess there is a city or town in Oregon in the United States called Remote. And so there was all of these jobs being listed for remote Oregon. And people were like, what is what is this industry in this small town in Oregon that's like supporting so many companies? And then somebody figured out, oh, like, oh, it's the oh, like where they're trying to say it's remote. And that became one of the first like search queries for if you're looking for a remote job on these old search sites, you would look for a job from remote Oregon because that was like the way they were oh, that's saying that's hilarious. That. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love that story. Yeah, crazy. Um 
in wrapping up, first of all, thank you so much for being here. I do want to touch on um, the book that you're writing, uh, Running Remote. Tell me a little bit about the book. Uh, what can people expect from it? And, and who are you hoping to pick up a copy? So the book is best practices from all of these companies that have been doing remote for years uh, with some crazy stories thrown in about our adventures along the way and the adventures of all of those people. So it's not really just our story, but it's really the story of those companies that have done a great job like GitLab uh, and Todoist and Doist and all of these other uh, companies that are, I think are probably doing it much better than we are and that understand remote. And, and so the people that are, it's targeted at is more big companies that want to get started and or that are on the journey and that they want to get the best practices and they want to get a bit more context about remote and how to figure it all out and, and so on. So, yeah, that's uh, I'm very excited about it. And we, we we're almost going to rename the book uh, to be something around asynchronous because what we found is, is this core concept of asynchronous was coming up again and again. Mm. And it's really a, a bit of a new concept because uh, remote works is obviously not such a new concept. Everyone understands it now, but but asynchronous is this, or async is, is a bit of a new concept that we were, we've really been talking a lot about in the book and, and how people do async best practices. It kind of sounds almost like, um, are you familiar with Tim Ferriss's tribe of mentors where kind of every chapter is like one person's, you know, tips and, and, and that sort of thing. Is it, are you kind of, is it going to be formulated in that sort of way? A little bit. There's definitely some tips in there, but it's, it's stories, right? It's the, their stories. And then, and then it's some of their tips and some of their, their best practices at the end of the chapter. And when, when is the book coming out and where can people pick up a copy? It's August 2022 and you can get it on Amazon. You can just search for Running Remote on Amazon. Perfect. And it, sort of to wrap up, um, I know that this episode might be coming out actually like during uh, the Running Remote Conference, uh, which is happening mid-May uh, in Montreal, like we talked about in Liam's backyard. Um, but if... If people are interested in checking it out, there is a virtual ticket, correct? So are people going to, if somebody's listening to this right now and didn't know the conference was happening, but is interested in checking it out, is there a way to buy a, a recording of it or something like that if they want to, if they want to access that? Yeah, there will be a virtual access to it as well. Uh, during the pandemic, we had everything be virtual. We had virtual events, but we discovered that it, it is better to go back to that in person as well. Um, but yeah, we do have a virtual option. Perfect. Well, Rob, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. This has been a ton of fun. I'm going to have links to everything that we talked about in the show notes from where to find the book to you know learning more about Time Doctor uh, and of course about the conference. But thank you so much for coming on. Let people know where are you on social media if they want to connect with you or or you know see more from you. Are you active anywhere on social media where people can do that? I'm hiding on social media. <laughs> I, love I don't it. actually go. <laughs> I love yeah, it. So I don't really go, but you can you can just go to Running Remote, and then if you want to contact me, just say you know. Can yeah. I, can you talk to Rob? Well, yeah. don't connect with Rob. It's fine. Just buy the book, and uh, you're gonna get the best <laughs> the, the best of it there. But Rob, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. 